Welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast. This is Chris with you here from Renew.org. We are excited to have another episode today. In today's episode, Anthony Walker is discussing how to disciple men, how to really create a thriving, awesome men's ministry that gives men a purpose and excitement for doing life and things together. Let's go ahead and check out what he has to say. I am um, Anthony Walker. I am doing the session on the elaborately titled Discipling Men. Doesn't that sound like exciting? Um, I I have a handout. If you haven't gotten it, my friend CJ here will make sure that you get it. Uh, And on the top of the page, it has the elaborate and exciting title of Discipling Men. Pretty, pretty blunt. I I was telling uh, Jason, he was like, what's the title of your session? And I said, I don't really do titles. I do content. Um, But uh, hopefully this will be beneficial to you guys on this morning. So let me get myself set up here. Tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I've been preaching as of this year. 15 years at the congregation that I serve in Murfreesboro. Uh, I've been there, like I said, for 15 years. And when I got there, the church had just, uh, how do we say it, uh, dismissed, uh, fired the previous minister. And sometimes that can be a tumultuous time for a congregation. So what happened after they fired him um, You know, the church, I don't want to say it was a split, but it was just kind of like a real strong leak. Like, you know, a lot of people had left. And here I was, 24 years old, young, excited, ready to change the world. And I got a phone call. How would you like to speak at 231? I'm like, okay. I had never heard of the church. I thought it was an organization or something like 231. Yeah, cool. And so I go there and that Sunday, you could really see the pain on the church. Everything was just, but you know, I'm bringing my, you know, cause I, I, I kind of feel like I'm interviewing. So I'm bringing my heavy hidden sermons, you know, I'm going to change the world. And after about a couple of months, uh, the leadership, you know, they say, Hey, we, we'd like to bring you on. But I knew one thing was going to be very vital. If the church was going to do any shifting, any growing, any movement, it had to involve the men. And, and so men, we can be some funny creatures. Uh, we can be interesting, especially as it relates to just church in general. But with a church that's gone through trauma like that, I knew, you know, here I'm coming in. I don't really know this, but I needed to get the men. So I'm going to break down to you some of the things that I understood, some of the things that we had to learn together But I believe these are some principles that will help you in whatever circumstance, situation you're in. Our church, when I got there, was, you know, about 55, 60 something people. Um, And within the time I've been there, we're 350 something now. And that's not to brag, but that's just to say, hey, God is, you know, doing some things at 231. But what makes me most proud is one of our ministries uh, that I helped to establish, and that's our men's ministry. So we're going to be talking about some of the things that I did, uh, and I hate that I'm put in this position because I'm what you have right before you go to, to dinner. So 
the longer that we go, the angrier you're going to get at me. And I was like, I had nothing to do with the schedule, but I will do my best to try to get us a little bit of time if you have some questions. Uh, and I've got my email on here as well. And we'll get to you. So without further ado, I will talk fast because I got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Uh, on this first part here, men gravitate toward. Um, because we are funny creatures, uh, men, we gravitate towards environments, situations. As we talk about discipleship in this uh, conference, you know, we discipleship is about creating an environment to make disciples. That's, that's what we're really doing. We're creating an environment where these conversations can take place, where these barriers can be broken down. So men gravitate towards certain spaces. If you put 10 men in a room and said nothing, they're going to start moving. Uh, some conversations are going to start happening. Some leadership is just going to happen naturally because we gravitate towards certain spaces and energy. So three areas that we gravitate toward, men gravitate toward respect. It's natural for us. How many of us um, we're athletes. I say we're because we all are grown. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Uh, how many of us served in the armed forces? Okay. Veterans in here. Okay, cool. Uh, both of these areas, uh, you know, hinge on this environment of respect. Uh, you go through practice with these guys. You train with these guys. You may not have grown up with them, but because they're on your team and we all are fighting for the same cause, we respect one another. In the military, here are guys that because you go through a boot camp period and you're fighting for a greater cause, you're willing to die for the guy next to you because you respect him. You follow so when men are in an area where they see and they feel this environment of respect, they gravitate toward it. Men gravitate towards routine. We are creatures of habit and creatures of routine. We do not like haphazard. We do not like, well, what we're we just going to hop up to. Now, and that's why I said you drop 10 men in a room. Somebody's going to figure out a schedule or something. What are we doing? Because I need to know. So whatever you whenever you're trying to disciple men, we have to have some kind of setup. If it's a, a breakfast or a coffee or a lunch or a call or a something that happens regularly. I can't tell you how many times I even may do a conference like this. And afterwards, I'll get a guy who may email me or who may call me. And the next thing you know, we're asking, man, we need to set up some kind of why? Because we love routine. Even if it's just a period of time, we love that. Keep this in mind in your discipleship and disciple making plans. And men gravitate toward reason. Reason. We do not like the ambiguous. We do not like, okay, as I said, 10 guys, drop them in a room and say nothing. Guess what somebody's going to do? What are we doing? Who told you to come in here? What, what's the, what, what, I mean, who's, li well, and then before long, you will organize yourselves to where somebody's going to be the spokesperson to ask whoever told us to be in here. What's the reason, right? So, so because of this, the things that we have to look at, even in the setups of our churches and our ministries, we have to look at, do we have an environment that's about respecting men? 
That's a question for you. Do we have an environment that is good at routine? And I'm talking about outside of the Sunday morning assembly and Wednesday night class, etc. Do we have a way that we can disciple men on a regular basis in routine? Are we scheduled? Are we organized? Are we people of reason, understanding? We'll get to some more of this as well. Men need, now this is not an exhaustive list, but here are some of the primary ones. Men need purpose. We need purpose. One of the issues that we have in getting men involved in ministry, involved in church, involved in disciple making, is that we just like to get them there, right? We just get them there. And when we got them, all right. And we're not going to be in an area where we don't have any purpose. What are we supposed to be doing? What is the reason for all of this? And if you really start peeling some things back, if your church is just a, hey, we just came together, I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. It's gonna look like a social club. Are y'all following this? Because you know what we do? We gather to the same place. We say the same chant. I mean, sing the same song. I mean, yeah, all the same. We read the same documents, right? We pay our, I mean, we give or we give, we tie, I mean, we pay our dues. Like it just becomes, and, and somebody's going to say, what's the purpose of this? Why am I leaving my comfortable football watching lazy boy to come here? Why am I after working 40 hours? Why am I coming back on a Thursday night for prayer session. Why can't I just talk to him in my closet? Why do we have to be involved? We need purpose. And if you can't define purpose for things that you're asking men to do, they will leave the space. So men need purpose. What else do men need? They need a plan. What are we building? What are we working on? Where does this lead us? I've got purpose, but where are we going in this? And you're going to find, I'm telling you some of the things I've observed, but I've got to go to the master. We're going to go to a text and find the master work this plan. But men need a plan. What are we doing? And that plan relates to the next P, we need pursuit. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, he describes the love of God. He says, who can know the love of God? The width and the breadth and the depth of the love of God, right? But what Paul is using is language of conquest. You give a measurement and men are going to find the limits of it. But what is Paul doing with that? He's saying, if you tell a man to measure God's love by the time he finds the dimensions of it, he's going to look up and say, wait a minute, I didn't even know about this area of God. And he's going to continue in pursuit. And if there's anybody that I want as a disciple maker for a man to follow is Jesus, right? That's what a disciple is. And so we need something to pursue. And the things that we must be challenged to pursue are those things that are out of reach, not out of sight but out of reach. So it's that thing of, hey, look at that mountain that we aspire to do. The church that I, that, you know, that I am now, um, I got there, uh, and I don't know who they had gotten the building loan through, et cetera, but they built the new building, and I get there, and, and by the time I got in there, we're 
you know, seven, eight years into this building. And the, the, the remainder of the building is 370 something thousand. We've got this crazy interest rate, you know, fluctuating interest rate deal. I had been there for seven or eight years. What do y'all think the remaining balance on the building was? 378,000. What have we been doing these last few years? So I start doing some math and I get the men together. We had a business meeting. Yeah, I'm a member of the Church of Christ. Okay, we have business meetings. And so I get the guys together and I said, we're going to do this in five years. Everybody, oh, huh, oh, huh, huh? I said, if we do this, 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 and this, we could do it. And everything that I mentioned in the this, 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 and this was stuff we had never done. But it captured some of those guys mm. who are willing for pursuit. I'm just going to try to see if we can do it to see if we can do it. And even in the midst of that, we had challenges. Something pops up. Units go out. Uh, all of these things happen. Do you know we knocked it out in five years to the day? And it was led by, and I know we often talk about the, the, the majority in our churches are women, etc. This was led by men, and they needed that pursuit. Men need Purpose, they need a plan, they need pursuit. Here's some things we must enforce and reinforce with men. We must reinforce, sacrifice, I'm going to look quickly here, sacrifice, service, and submission. And, and put a little A after you write submission because I got another letter there. I, I was trying to do the alliteration so you can remember it, but I, I'll tell you about it. Sacrifice. Because we are men, because we are natural in respect, because we are natural in warrior, we have to constantly be reinforced about sacrifice. Because again, what we do for the kingdom and what Jesus did for the kingdom was about sacrifice. So we must continue to remind and reinforce our men. This is a mission of sacrifice. It is a mission of service. The kind of service that we do in the kingdom, you may not get a pat on the back all the time. You may not get a thank you, but you will get a glory from God when he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So I need to get you in the habit that service is what we do in the kingdom. I'm also a preacher, y'all, so amen will work every now and then, okay? Uh, submission. Let me tell you something I love about um, the military. I love this understanding about rank and order and submission. Even the word submission comes from that understanding that I am walking beneath the mission, submission. The mission is greater. Paul says, let us walk worthy of the calling wherewith we have been called. The calling is more worthy than I am, but I walk beneath that because I am submitting to the mission. Amen. But here's the thing about submission. We often talk about that as it relates to women and our wives. But biblically, understanding this principle of submission starts with us. Before she can learn how to submit, she has to observe me learning how to submit. And submission for men, and why I said this is in the military, check this out. I don't care who this guy is that's over you, how long he's been in, where he's from, and where he grew up. If he has this rank above you, you got to do what he says. And you're thinking, man, I'm old enough to be his dad. I, I remember and I, his grand. Yes, sir. Right? That's the kind of thing. And when it comes to what God calls us to do as men, 
we have to submit. And even in that submission, the A that I point out is a part of that submission is accountability. See, I need to be able to walk up to men and challenge you, not on the basis of my rank or order, etc., but based off the word of God. Hey, man, you got to be a better husband because of what God calls us to be. Man, you need to you need to you can't you can't be like that in that situation. You're not supposed to be there. You can't stay out all weekend long from your family. You got to do better than this. And, and then if he wants to rear up to me, well, who do you think? You're just a man like, no, no, no. This is what God calls us to do. I walk beneath the mission, right? So we always have to reinforce this submission, submission and sacrifice and service with men. Uh, so one of the things I did uh, with our men's ministry, one of the first things I did, I read a book, few books. Um, Kingdom Man is one of them. Dr. Tony Evans, uh, The Secrets of a Man's Heart. I can't think of the author at this time. Um, not, not Secrets of a Man's Heart, The Four Pillars of a Man's Heart. The other one was The Secrets That Men Keep. All of those are great uh, reference books uh, to look at. But one of the passages that hit me in Dr. Evans's Kingdom Men was Exodus 34, 23, Deuteronomy 16, 16, where basically God says three times a year, all your males will appear before the Lord. In one instance, he says, bring them up on the mountain with me three times a year. In another, he says, hey, you can choose where you come, but three times a year, you got to come. All the males. Now, what happens if we take all the men away from a community? What happens? You can answer on this one. What's going to happen? Take all the men away. The women are defenseless, vulnerable. And, and so what happens with us, even with this kind, could you imagine Moses saying, hey, God said, all of us, we have to leave and go on the mountain. Whoa, I can't leave my wife and kids. What are you talking about, Moses? Well, who's going to watch after? And God says, don't worry about the women. I'll get them, but I need you to come in counsel with me. These were the kind of things that God was doing as they were coming out of Egypt. Remember, they didn't have any kind of structure. These were former slaves. They had no sense of structure, no sense of community. And God, as he's coming out, this is where he gives the Ten Commandments. This is where he gives all the law and the feast days, etc. But this is where he's saying, before we go to Canaan, men, I need you to get accustomed to every year coming to counsel with me. And God is creating an environment where men can be men with God. There's no question. There's no, well, what if I have any of this? No, we're coming. But all the males, you're male by birth. You got the right plumbing God gave you. You're male, but you're a man by maturity. But God says, I need all of y'all to come in counsel. So what I use that scripture to do is I say, hey guys, we're going to have a men's retreat. And where we are here in Middle Tennessee, you all have heard of Gatlinburg. It's two and a half, three hours away. So we're going to get a cabin, chalet, and we're going to take all the men that want to sign up. We're going to go. First year, we had about 12 guys. Could you imagine what that does to my ego? Okay. Uh, but we were go I, I told the elders, I said, look, whatever we, I said, if it's just us, cool. I said, if it's, you know, 12, whatever, but we're going to do it. 
And what I did is I spent a lot of time throughout that week. I had all these sessions planned up, but I, and I said, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to go up there and have a business meeting. We're not going to go up there and have a complaining session. We're going to go up there and worship. We're going to go up there and pray together, counsel with God, and we are going to bond together. David says in Psalm 133:1, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We're going to be men together with God. And I, I took it. I told God at the time, I said, God, I want these guys to come back from this experience on such a high. I was, I was wanting them to come down off the mountain like Moses did, you know, glowing when they get home. But I wanted it to be so good that this experience would translate when we get back home. Now, here's what happens in the military. Here's what happens in the locker room. Here's what happens when men get together. We naturally bond. I could do this right now. I'm not going to, but I could do this right now. After we leave this session, hey, our session was better than all the rest of them. And y'all would back me up because we were in here together, right? We, we, we own the same team. So I knew that that would create something that would drive men. Well, here's what it did. We come off the mountain and these guys were so pumped and excited relationships were created with guys that didn't even know. They've been going to church for years, but didn't, I didn't know you worked this. I didn't know you did such. I didn't know. Yeah, I got a such and such kind of car. I'm restoring the blah, blah, blah. That now the communication has risen. The brotherhood has risen. It's all great. Following year, we had about 20-something guys to go. And, we, and of those 20-something guys that went, four of them their wives signed them up. They were just saying, hey, we're going to make sure he goes, right? I'll fast forward the tape to tell you this. Pre-COVID 2019, we had our largest group of 80 guys. Now, this is 80 guys that, and, and, and I don't know what this would do in your dynamic, but I'll tell you what it does in our dynamic. Whenever we have stuff kind of close or at the building, guys always have to fix something. Oh, the power went out. I got to change the light bulb. My wife saw a spider and all this kind of stuff. So I said, I want to get these guys away from that. We're three hours away. You're not running back to the house. And, and, and there's some, some you know, things that I do with it. Uh, I'll share this as I'm looking at my time. One of the things I do while I'm up there, I have five questions that they have to deal with. Uh, I'll give you a couple of those questions. I tell every man there to get with a younger man or tell the younger man to get with an older man. Okay? And I ask, I ask questions like this. What can I learn from your generation? That's an up and down question. I have a, a question from a younger guy to ask the older guy, what would you have told me when you, if, you know, when you were my age? You've probably heard the statistic that says that the average first time visitor to your church decides within seven minutes if they're not coming back. So what are they encountering in those seven minutes that has the potential to make or break their experience? I'm Abby Barris, designer and ministry veteran and I would love to help you make those seven minutes as effective as possible. You can find me at abbybarrisinteriors.com or at churchdesignhelp.com to learn more about how I can help you create strategic spaces that support your processes 
communicate your values, and make space for everyone. Another question that I have them to ask the younger guys to the older guys. When was the last time that you were afraid and that you cried and that you were happy? Tell you why I asked, I put that question there. Men, we're strange creatures. We can be so inundated with what we're doing that we forget to eat. We forget to even acknowledge our feelings. Do you know something that you will never hear a man say? That hurt my feelings. You know what we say instead? That don't make no sense. <laughs> We're logical creatures, right? But we don't even, but guess what? We do have them. We do have those feelings. And they need to be addressed. I have them asked that about being afraid because guess what? Uh, you're looking at Second Chronicles chapter 20. You all remember Jehoshaphat. He says to God, we don't know what we're going to do, but our eyes are on you. It's not the safest thing for a man to say, I don't know. One of the things that men had to do in 2020 that we probably have never had to do prior to that is we had to say, I don't know. Because guess what? I've never been through a pandemic. I've never had to lead my family through a pandemic. I don't even know what's happening in the next few weeks because I don't know what the country's going. I don't know. Because if we say, I don't know, we're the last line of defense for what takes place in our families. But guess what men need? They need a space to be able to say, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to get through this. So what happened is I have guys who had been laid off and they're having to talk to a younger man to say, man, the last time I was afraid was when I got that pink slip. Now, you're saying, but wait a minute, Anthony, this, this sounds a lot of like inside stuff. You know, guys who are already members of your church. How are you discipling guys that are outside of your church through this ministry? I'm glad you asked that question. Because I never put this ministry together with it just being inside. So you'd have a father who might be a member of our church, but his son, you know, lives in another state. But now he gets to come. And you've got this father-son dynamic that we're all coming together with these other men. You'd have brothers that live in different states. And man, my brother heard about it and he wanted to come. We had the, the, the 2019 one when we had one of our biggest ones. And this year when we went, we went just a couple of months ago in July. We had visitors. Guys who were there two Sundays before we went on our retreat. And man, I heard about this men's retreat. Do you mind if we come? Come on. And guess what we're doing the whole retreat? Hey, how you doing? Now, do you know such and such? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But I'm glad to be here. Great evangelistic peace. But what are we learning from that? We're learning how to follow Jesus together as men. And that's the men's retreat. The other things that I did from that, because the you know, text says three times a year, we have a fellowship that we have at our church with just men once a year. We also have a fellowship over one of the men's houses uh, once a year. They're scattered out, you know, throughout the. But we do this again for these bonding. But we also do this to create relationships. How does that work in disciple making? Well, once the relationship is there, disciple making will start taking off on its own. 
because you'll have the older and younger. There are relationships that I see in our church and I would have never thought this brother would be talking to that brother. They don't like the same teams. They didn't grow up together. They're, they're not the same age bracket, but they met and bonded over Jesus. Amen, somebody. Amen. And, 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 and then that's what leads this process on. So in the few minutes I got left, I'm going to show you the master teacher. Watch what he does here, okay? Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Jesus, the master teacher, master disciple maker. He is putting on a clinic in Luke chapter 5. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Jesus saw this. And I don't know if you guys know too much about this Jesus character, but he does nothing haphazardly, right? He, he's, he's not random. He's perfect. All of this is according to his plan, okay? Sees two boats standing by. Fishermen are gone and washing their nets. Verse number three, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Basically what had happened, you all know that as Jesus did more of his preaching and teaching and miracles, people followed him in mass. And so he basically backed himself up to where, man, I, all these people are here. I got to, okay. And he steps into a boat. But I want to point out an observation here. He stepped in first, then he asked a question. Did y'all catch that? Usually it's the other way around. Do you mind if I use your boat here? No, he just stepped in. What is your point, Anthony? To cause us to distance ourselves from one another. Well, that's his house, man. I run my house, he run his house. We said, no, 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 no. Sometimes you got to step in their business. Hey, I, I, I'll throw in a line like this. Yeah, I man, I saw you, your kids here out of your youth ministry. I'm in your family now. <laughs> I'm in, the, I stepped in, right? <laughs> I stepped in. And I, I, I love kids, too. So I'm, I'm high-fiving their kids, and that just does something for the kids. Oh, the pastor shook my hand, you know. I'm all in this. But I'm, I'm, I'm in your space now, okay? What else? He stepped into Peter's burden. What was Peter's burden? You know what it was. This was one of those nights that we have where you don't catch nothing but a cold. At the lake all day, didn't catch anything. And Jesus says, I'm offering to help you with your burden. Every man that comes into your assembly has a burden. And as your job, your job is before pastor, before elder, before shepherd, you're a disciple maker. And in making disciples, I'm here to help you get close to Jesus. And I may not have all the solution to your burden, but I know someone who does. So I'm going to step into, I'm asking you questions to find out what is this guy going, what's he dealing with? He stepped in. Verse number four, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Let me pause there and give you an observation. Do you hear the language of conquest? Do you hear the language of pursuit? Launch out into the deep. Peter said, who in the world is this guy? I do this for a living. What is he talking? Do you not think I went into the deep? What is this? He's giving him language of conquest. Jesus knows this. 
Tell a man that he can't do something. I'm going to figure out how to do it. If it ain't enough duct tape and I'm going to figure this thing out. And I may even take you up on it just to prove you wrong. Okay. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. A couple of points here. One, Peter, a quality that Jesus saw in Peter that we need to be looking for is that Peter was attracted to the word and authority that Jesus commanded. He loved that. He that rank and respect. Even when Peter, watch this, even when Peter was scared in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and they thought it was a ghost. Do y'all remember what Peter said? He's standing on the ledge of the boat and there's, oh, it's a ghost. Peter says, if it's you, command me to come. He always loved Jesus' word. So what I'm looking for, there are guys, yes, we love good praise and worship, and I love good singing. I love to sing, etc. But a lot of men that are going to come in your space may not be as attracted to the singing. But look at that word. What is he talking about? That's what really attracts. And that's what he, Jesus saw in Peter that he was attracted to. Your word. Flip over to the back. And when he had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that it began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who are with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And, there, and, and so also were James... John and sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon. What am I going to say about this before I get to that last verse? You get one man, one man, he's connected to some other men. Every man that is in your assembly, every man you encounter, he's connected with some other men. And if you're able to give these men some word of Jesus and be willing to step in their boat, step in their burden, step in their business. Sometimes we fail as men, we mess up as men, but to be able to have another man stand with you through life, guess what they're going to do? They're going to tell somebody, hey man, come, I, 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 it's, it's, it's a Thursday night, they just, they just get together and do prayer, man. That's all they do, but, but you got to come, man. It's changed my life. I've got, I've got two or three calls a week that I'm doing just with guys who want to, hey, we're going to look at a scripture. We're going to pray over this thing. Some of y'all have seen me on the uh, Jason uh, Whitlock, Fearless uh, with Jason Whitlock. I was telling Jason, Jason's on this journey himself. I was telling Jason about a prayer call that I do every Sunday morning. Me and uh, two of my good uh, minister friends, we woke up one Sunday Almost two years ago, woke up one Sunday, all three of us, we were in a text group, but all three of us that Sunday morning just wasn't feeling it. If you're a minister, you know what I'm talking about. That Sunday where I just, I don't know. And, and, and my good partner, he said, hey man, let's, let's do a three-way call. Let's pray about it. Ever since then, every Sunday, 8.30, even when we're traveling to do gospel meetings or whatever, we call each other and pray. So on set, I'm telling Jason about this one. I said, yeah, man. I said, yeah, I was talking to my buddies the other day on the prayer call. Jason says, prayer call? What is that? He said, you think you could do something like that for me and my show? Every Wednesday now, 
I, I shoot on Wednesday mornings. Every Wednesday, prayer call. Now, what Jason doesn't understand is I'm working the long game, <laughs> okay? But, but, but he's attracted to, man, this is some good stuff. And, and we're sharing prayer victories. And, and what happened, it was going to be 530 to 6. And what I noticed was some of the men on the call, you know, I would give a little verse or something. I said, now, what does that word mean? And what is, now who is such and such? And what, can you tell me a little bit more about him? And I said, well, guys, you know, I would love to go into that. It would take some time. And they said, well, let's do it at five now. So now we go from five to six o'clock. Now, some of you in here may say, man, but you had a whole nother Bible class on Wednesday night and all of this. But I'm saying I'm working the long game because I know here's a man that's connected to some other men. And what did they do at the end of this verse? Verse number 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and did what? Followed him. Now, don't get it twisted as disciple makers. It can do something to our little ego to be able to say who we have following us. But it means nothing for people to follow me if I'm not following Jesus. So I really ultimately am leading them to follow Jesus because a disciple learns to follow, follows to learn, but never arrives. I want these guys constantly chasing after Jesus. If he uses me for any kind of structure or plan or program, whatever the case, but we're all in pursuit of Jesus. So, so what I look at with discipling men, we must be intentional as, as leaders, as teachers, as men ourselves. We must be intentional to speak to those needs that I gave you on the front of the page that men deal with. Go back and look at your ministries of the church that you're in. Go back and look at some of the programs and events that you're doing. Does it make sense to the average man? Why am I going to have him here to sit and fold chairs and put up tables? I got to have more for him in the kingdom than putting up tables. Now, we do need somebody to put up tables. Don't get me wrong. But, but there's got to be more, something bigger than this. What is the conquest? What is the pursuit that you're challenging the men in your space to chase after? I mean, to, you remember when Kennedy said, we're going to go to the moon? There was half of the country that said, that's crazy. But there were some men who said, oh, I bet I can. <laughs> I bet I can. And they went and chased after it. So, so we need to be speaking to the conquest of that and, and, and create those spaces of bonding, create that stuff. Again, this isn't even connected to me now because of what God has done through this ministry. It was, it was my baby. Uh, and, and the first couple of times that, that we had our retreats and stuff, I had to do just about everything, make all the copies and create all the lesson materials and stuff. Now... I do the welcome session, and I think that's about it. In two years, my kids were born around the time that we had the men's retreat. I was not able to go, and it burned me up because I loved that, you know, that event. And it went on without me. And relationships are created, and disciples are made have nothing to do with me. And I'm saying, praise God for this. But we must be intentional. Thanks for joining us today. We really hope that you have an awesome Merry Christmas. We'll be back with you on Tuesday again. And yeah, have a great weekend.